0: Do these pants make me look fat? What? You look like a supermodel. eh? You look fantastic. Newlyweds. Do these pants make me look fat? We could get you a treadmill for Christmas if you really wanted one. Not so newlyweds. Hey, I heard the car pull up. Let me get one of these bags. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Newlyweds. Somebody at the door. Not so newlyweds. You look really handsome tonight. It's only because I have to keep up with my beautiful wife. Newlyweds. You know, you could have at least not worn a hat. Or a pizza joint, not a rehearsal dinner. Not so newlyweds. Honey, that you missed your turn. <sighs> Sorry, I'll turn around. No worries, we can be a little late. Newlyweds. I can't believe you just missed your turn again. Do you want me to drive? Sure, if you want. You know what? Just get us there! Not so newlyweds. Excuse me. (laughs) No worries. It's kind of cute.
1: Newlyweds.
0: Sorry. Not so newlyweds. Well, thanks, honey, for helping me with the dishes. The quicker we get done with this, the sooner I can eat your delicious cooking. Newlyweds. Would you mind helping me with the dishes? Uh yeah, I'm gonna just gonna finish the sports section real quick. So what you're saying is you never want to have sex with me again because that's what it sounds like. Not so newlyweds. We're weird and romantic when we start the relationship, and not too long afterwards, we become normal. Well, we started this whole series um, a few weeks ago with the words of Jesus when he said there are two very different roads that people are on. There's a hum. Can you work on that, Jeff? One road is the very wide road, and it says that most people, the majority of people, normal people are on the wide road, and the wide road leads to hell. It's the pathway to hell. And, and we've talked about that there is a hell on earth where most people are. The majority of people are having a hell on earth because of choices that they've made. But there's also the logical destination of this wide pathway is hell. There's a real hell forever separated from God in a place called hell where there is burning, uh, where there's fire, there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the logical um, end of this road. And it's where most normal people go is to hell. But we said that Jesus also talked about this little narrow road and only weird people, only the few. For our purposes, we're calling it the weird because weird is not normal. Only the weird people are on this road and this road leads to life. And And many of you over the last few weeks, you said, I don't want to be normal anymore. I want to be weird because weird is not only the best way to live. Weird is the only way to die been to a lot of funerals lately, I've done several funerals lately, and I'm telling you, weird, the way Jesus said to die, weird is the only way that you want to die, um, if, if what he said was true. So today we're going to take this whole weird thing, and we're going to apply it to desires. Because what is normal when it comes to our desires? It's just to give in to our natural desires. And so we're going to apply our overarching theme. We said, if you want what normal people have, you do what? what normal people do. If you want what few people have, you have to do what? What few people do. Three people have been here the whole series and I appreciate that. Maybe the rest of you will catch on. Let's try it again. If you want what normal people have, you do. If you want what few people have, you do. There we go. Normal is to give in to any desire that we have. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve. God said there's one tree in the middle of this garden that you can't have. You can have everything else, but you can't have this one Fruit from this one tree. And so Satan comes along and he says to Eve, Look at this fruit. This fruit looks good. Doesn't it look good? And what does Eve do? She gives in to her desires and she eats the fruit. And And we find out that Adam was right there. Don't, don't give Adam a pass at all. Adam was right there standing next to her because it says she turns and gave the fruit to him, to her husband who was standing there next to her. And he takes it and eats it too. And then what does he do? He blames it on the woman. Typical man. Been doing it ever since. Gave in to his desires, and he blames the woman because he gave in to his desires. Fast forward to the time of Moses. Moses is living in the pa- uh, palace of Pharaoh. He has been the adopted uh, son of, Moses, of Pharaoh's daughter, and so he is living a life of ease, comfort. He's had all the education. Well, he finds out, though, he's really an Israelite. One day he goes out to check on the Israelites. He sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave, and he gets mad. And you know what Moses does? He kills the Egyptian. He gave in to his desires. Fast forward to King David. The greatest king in the history of Israel. The warrior, the poet, the prophet, the man after God's own heart. It says in the Bible that at the time that kings go out to war, David was in his palace. If you just read that, it's going, wait, King, he should have been with his army. But he was back on the palace. So when you're at the wrong place, at the wrong time, you're going to do what? He's walking around on the t- He's bored because he should have been with the army. He's walking around on the palace and he overlooks and he sees a woman bathing. Now, when he first saw her, he should have run away. But he didn't because she looked good. And he he paused and he gazed and then he desired her. And it set off this whole string of events where he went down the, the path and he, he had a literal hell on earth because he chose to have sex with another man's wife and then he eventually had that man killed and this was a bad, bad deal because he was where he wasn't supposed to be and he gazed at something and he gave in to his desires. For you, it might be that you get angry and, and instead of controlling your anger, you explode. Or it might be that you're hungry and you eat. But you eat past the point of being full. You eat to be comforted. It might be that you are just looking for sex over and over and over again because you feel empty if you can't have someone sexually because at least they're close to you for a few moments. You may feel shame later, but at least a little bit, you're having that, that, um, that feeling, that desire met. Whatever your desire is, normal people give in to normal desires. Now, the Bible speaks very, very directly to this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now, in the King James, a lot of you uh, have heard King James in the past. It calls these three things, these three normal desires, calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I wanted to give you a more modern translation so you've got God's Word uh, translation on your listening guide. I want you to circle some things as we get there. Look, here's how it says it. Not everything that the world offers, first thing I want you to circle, is physical gratification. Circle those two words. Next thing is greed. Circle that word. And then circle extravagant lifestyles. All right, these are the things I want to go back and start over. Not everything that the world offers, physical gratification, greed, and extravagant lifestyles, not all of those things come from the Father. Those things come from the world, and the world and its evil desires are doing what? Passing away. They're momentary. And then they're going to fade away. And then look at the last sentence. But the person who does what pleases God lives forever. Now every one of us has natural desires. There are normal desires that we have. We have a sexual drive. And the sexual drive is not bad. But whenever you're tempted to meet that sexual need in a way that dishonors God, it becomes sin and it leads you on the pathway to hell on earth. Um, The desire for nice things... That's not bad. But if you're tempted to go after those nice things in a way that dishonors God, it leads you down the wide path that leads to a hell on earth. But glory to God, the last thing it says is, but the, the person who does what pleases God lives forever. So it contrasts normal. Normal is physical gratification, giving into that. Normal is chasing after greed. Normal is chasing after extravagant lifestyles. Weird is the person who does what God desires, does what pleases God and that person lives forever. So we're going to look today, we're going to make two statements about normal people, we're going to make two statements about weird people today. Two thoughts about normal people. Number one, normal people want what they want now, not later. They want what they want money now. and I need it now. It's my money and I need it now. It's my money and I need it now. It's my money and I need it now. It's my money, and I need it now. It's your- we live in a generation that wants it now, right? Y'all all knew that commercial. Y'all all start giggling because you remembered it. J.G. Wentworth commercial. It's yours, and you should be able to do what you want with it right now. Now, this is exactly how normal people feel about all their desires. One of the best examples of this is of the prodigal son in the Bible. And we're going to spend, in February, we're going to spend three weeks on the prodigal son. Um we're gonna look at the, the the younger son, the older son, and the father in three consecutive weeks, gonna do something totally different. When you come in here, uh we're gonna have tables all over the place, and you're gonna go to a table and we're gonna have some video, we're gonna do some discussion at tables, but we're gonna take apart the prodigal son, the story over three weeks, and hopefully you'll walk out of here with a new understanding of which person you are in that story and which person you desperately need to run towards in that story. But in this story, the younger son comes to his dad and he says, it's my money and I need it now. And and his dad's like, well, yes, it is your money, but when do you want it? And he says, now. Because, see, in that culture, it was, it was logical for the younger son to think, well, I'm going to get some inheritance. But what was not logical was he didn't want to wait until his father died. So really, in that culture, when he comes and asks for his money... He he was slapping his father in the face and saying, I wish you were dead, but since you're not dying fast enough, give me my money now. And this attitude is everywhere. Normal people give in to their desires. I want what I want, and I want it now. Could be a guy and a girl, and they're snuggling. And and the Bible says there's a certain type of snuggling that is supposed to be reserved for marriage. But they say, oh man, I want it now. Could be the person who has some ice cream and it's in their refrigerator and their ice cream's for dessert, but they want it now. And so they go eat the whole half gallon and then after that they go get the reserve half gallon of cookies of cream that's in the other freezer and they eat it now because I want it Now. Some of y'all laughing. could be the person who's mad at their boss and they their boss hurts their feelings or does something and, and doesn't acknowledge them, And so they type out that angry email and they punch send and they send it now and they get fired later. But they send it now because they were going to prove their point while they were angry. And that's what normal people do. I want what I want now when it comes to my desires. Second thing about normal people, they'll often trade the ultimate for the immediate. This is big. You don't ever see... Normal people paying attention to this. The greatness of the future for the immediacy of now. The story that illustrates this best in the Bible is the story of Esau and Jacob. These are twin brothers. Esau was the older brother, and he was a man's man. We're told that he was... Uh, I don't know why the Bible tells us this, but he was a hairy man. I guess that's a man's man. And he was an outdoorsman. He hunted, and his father preferred him because he was the oldest, and, and he was a man's man. The other was Jacob. He was the younger. He was a homebody, and his mama liked him better. And so he learned how to knit and sew and cook and all that stuff. He stayed in the tents. He didn't go out and get his hands dirty, any of those types of things. Now, in biblical times, the firstborn had what was called the birthright. And the birthright was a huge advantage. And and simply because you're the firstborn, you got the birthright. What it meant was, when your father died, you got twice the inheritance of any of the other heirs. If there's only two of you, you get twice what the other guy gets. If there's many of you, you get twice as much as however much everybody else gets. And when your father dies, you become like the executor of the estate or you become the judge of the family. This is a huge, huge deal. Esau was born just a couple of minutes before Jacob. Esau had the birthright. Jacob was very jealous of the birthright. Now, I want you to imagine this story that I'm about to read you, and, and it's on your. I think you have it on your listening guide. Genesis 25:29 It's where we're starting. Picture this in your mind. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, there you go, homebody, he was cooking, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau had been out doing men's stuff. He was hungry. He was famished. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Now, you really got to put some drama in this. You really got to put some immediacy in this. I'm starved. And you'll understand why in a second. Give me some of that red stew. What's funny is later... Um, Esau is named Edom, which means red, and it comes from this story. And so his nickname was red, not because he was red, had red hair, and all that stuff. His nickname was red because he sold everything for some red stew. It's not a good nickname. That one wasn't. So he says, "All right." Now Jacob had to have been thinking about this previously, because he's cooking some stew. He didn't just on the spot. He was a smart guy. He was shrewd. He was a deceiver, but he didn't come up with this on the spot. I think he'd been thinking about this for years. So he says, "All right." Joseph replied, or Jacob replied, But trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Trade me your birthright. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? Jacob said, First you must swear it. Swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Do you see the drama? Do you think he was really dying of hunger? He could have lived off his own fat for at least 30 minutes. Maybe three hours, a few days. I mean, come on. He was not dying of starvation. I don't know, I don't know what the situation was, but have you ever been so hungry that you thought you were gonna faint? I love those Snickers commercials, you know, because you're not you when you're hungry. You're kind of a diva when you're hungry. Esau was a diva. If he just had a Snickers, he would still have his birthright. I mean, come on. Esau says, I'm starving. I'm dying. And then he asks one of the dumbest questions in all of the Bible. He says, if I'm dying, what good is the birthright? I mean, just total drama. I'm so hungry. I've got this need. I need that bowl of stew. What good is the birthright to me? And we think, how could somebody be so stupid, so short-sighted, so foolish? Because what did he do? He traded his birthright for a lousy bowl of stew. That's the next thing he does in the story. And we look at it, we go, who could be that dumb? Only an idiot would trade the birthright for a bowl of stew. And the truth is, normal people do it every day. They trade the ultimate for the immediate. I bet you know somebody who derailed their life with a desire that went unchecked and unmanaged. And what they do, they destroyed their lives. They did something Stupid. They locked in for a moment, and and that stew looked so good. And they gave in, and later there was all kinds of regret, all kinds of disappointment for, with everyone around them. They forgot that everything else mattered. But at that moment, that bowl of stew looked so good that they traded everything for it. Could be the young girl who who likes clothes, and she goes out, and she gets credit card, and she wants a belt that matches her hair clip, that matches her shoes, and before she knows it, she has $32,000 of Consumer debt. Now, consumer debt is you don't know where it went. And it's also stuff that goes down in value. It's not like your house. Your house generally appreciates in value over time. But consumer debt, that's that stuff that that's like paying for a meal on your credit card and then paying the the minimum monthly payment. And so it takes you eight years to pay off one meal that you had. That's consumer debt. And and she says, oh, my clothes make me feel good. And then she looks up and she goes, how did I get $32,000 of debt? And the the simple answer is, she did it one bowl of stew at a time. It looked good. and, And for just a moment, she had to have it. So just put it on plastic because plastic doesn't hurt at all. Could be the man who really loves his wife, loves his children, loves God. But in a moment when he's on the computer and he's about to click and go one way, he looks at something and he has this choice to make. is this bowl of stew. More important than what he really does love his wife. He really does love his family. He really does love God. But if he clicks on that and he goes this direction, he's going to start looking at something that all it does is feed his lust. All it does is make him desire more and more of what's sinful. And it takes him farther from his family and farther from his God. He trades everything for a lousy bowl of stew, a stupid bowl of stew. He trades the ultimate for the immediate. It could be the young girl who really wants a godly husband and she really wants to be loved and she starts dating this guy and he's a pretty good guy. And this guy says, I love you. And she says, I love you too. And he says, well, you know, if you love me, you won't withhold anything from me. If you really love me, you'll, you'll show me. And she doesn't want to because she really wants to please God. But in that moment, she looks at that bowl of stew and she says, I want to be loved. I need somebody to love me and I'm afraid I'll lose him if I don't. And so she gives in for a stupid bowl of stew. She gives it all. She trades the ultimate for the immediate because she folks in on that bowl of stew. Men that love their families, they want to be providers for their families, they say, I'm going I'm to give my kids what I couldn't have. And so they lock in on becoming a better and better provider. And they, they work their way up and they make more money and they buy nicer houses and, and nicer cars and they give their kids more and more and more. And then all of a sudden they wake up one day and their kids are in their mid-30s um, and they don't even know their kids and their kids don't even know them. And in a moment of clarity, a man in his 50s or 60s will go, how could I have been so dumb? I traded... A relationship, the ultimate, with my children for a lousy bowl of stew. Normal people do it every day. We trade the ultimate for the immediate. Who would be that dumb? You and I do it. And so I got a question for you. What's your bowl? We all have natural desires that if we leave them unchecked, they will lead us down a pathway that leads to some type of hell on earth. We all have a bowl, so I want to know what's in your bowl. What are your desires that you know they come up? They may not be there right now, but they're going to be there. They may be there later today. They may be there tomorrow. You know they're going to come up. What is your bowl that you will trade everything for just a few moments to satisfy that immediate desire? And you'll give everything up because that's what normal people do. Normal people want what they want, they want it now. And normal people um, will trade the ultimate for the immediate. Now let's look at weird people. Weird people are very, very different. Weird people know that later is often better than now. Weird people are willing to give up something they want now for something they want more later. <laughs> There's power in waiting and doing things God's way and only weird people ever discover that power. So you trade the immediate for the ultimate, you do just the opposite of what normal people do. Proverbs 16:32, this is an awesome verse. It says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Now, you got to understand, this proverb is written in a time when to be a warrior was the ultimate. To be a good warrior and to lead men into battle was incredible. To be a warrior who stormed a city and took the city, you were a hero in that land. And look what the writer of Proverbs says, it's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. It's better to conquer your own desires, God says, than to conquer a whole city. Financially, what's what's normal? Broke, debt, right? Weird people say it's better to save, pay cash, do things later. Weird people aren't in debt. God says, It's not that I don't want you to have good things. It's not that I don't want you to have sex and have incredible sex for the rest of your life. He says, I want you to do it my way. He said, I just don't want you to sell your birthright for a lousy bowl of stew. Get it later instead of now. And God says, If you'll do things His way, He'll do some incredible things in your life. Sex. Now sex is everywhere. And you're actually considered even when I was in high school, I was considered strange because I was a virgin. They had a a joke about the clock, our clock on our tower at our high school hadn't worked. I can't ever remember when it worked. And they said when a virgin graduated from Borger High School, then the clock would start working again. That was the joke. And so even back then in the 80s, it was weird to be a virgin. And I wanted to be a virgin. And I wanted to marry a virgin. So Janie and I waited. And when we were dating, we knew that God said it would be better if we waited. Now, now, don't get me wrong. My wife is beautiful. She's hot. Those blue eyes, my brother, first time he met my wife, he goes, dude, I bet you fell into those blue eyes and never came out. And I said, yeah. And so we kissed and we hugged and the motor'd be running and, and I wanted her sexually, but I knew God said if I would wait, it would be better. So we waited. And and on our honeymoon, um, our honeymoon is special to me, not because of the sex, because honestly, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't have a clue sexually. The coolest thing to me was that on my honeymoon, it was obvious that my wife had never had sex with another man. It was obvious that I had never had sex with another woman. What What is incredible is that this bonded us together 21 years this year, 21 years of marriage And things are smoking and hotter now than they were then because we did it right. It is the ultimate and it's what God desires for marriage. But you gotta put it off till later and do things God's way and then God pours out His blessings upon you. But if you've been having sex before marriage and then you go on the honeymoon, dude, it's just another day at the office. There's not a, there's nothing special about that. Just because you go to the Bahamas or some other location, that doesn't change the fact that you've already done that. If you wait and you do it God's way, and and I know I know there's a lot of folks that have already messed up sexually, and and there is there is a way to be restored to sexual purity um, in God's eyes, spiritually speaking, not the physical side, but the spiritual side. There is a way to do that. And I know lots of people that they they put off the the sexual thing, and then they get married, and God blesses them for doing that. That's a huge thing. But but when you do it God's way, let's say that that you're having sex now. If you want God's blessing and you're not married, you're having sex, you need to stop right now. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been dating. I don't care if you're getting married. The Bible says you want to do it God's way. You do not have sex before marriage. And then you watch what God does. Because then when you go on your honeymoon, when when I went on my honeymoon, and this is the description, this is the biblical description of what it's supposed to be like the first night that you're with your wife. Read Song of Solomon. That's some hot stuff. You go in and you unwrap that present and you're like Adam. Dude, I was like Adam when he woke up and Eve was there. And she was naked and he goes, "Ho, oh, 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 That was me on our wedding night, and it was good, and that's God's desire. But man, those people that have already been after it, there's nothing special. And it's no wonder that sex doesn't bond you together because there's nothing special there anymore. You've already done all of that. If you want to have the marriage that God wants you to have, stop having sex right now if you're not married. Did y'all see, uh, this is just a side, did y'all see the the pastor in uh, Fort Worth, actually in Grapevine, Ed Young Jr.? He's got a book out. I I got his book, by the way. It's called Sex Experiment. His wife did a 24-hour bed-in on top of the church, um, and all kinds of news agencies from actually all over the United States came and interviewed them. And his challenge to the church was to have all the married people to have sex every night for seven nights. We're going to try that sometime. I'm just letting you know now. You might want to miss that series, some of you. So weird people know that later is better than now. Now, weird people also know this, or they seek God until His desires become their desires. This is a big thing, guys. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this, this word, delight, means that as you are drawing near to God, as you're seeking Him, as you're delighting in Him, it's like you have your, your heart is hard as a rock, your life is hard as a rock, and God begins to pour over you His Holy Spirit like water. and And if you can imagine your heart is like a... a Um, some clay that's been hardened in the sun. And as He pours that water through His Holy Spirit over your heart, it begins to soften. And as it begins to soften, God begins to mold you into whatever He desires you to be. And then when He molds you into that instrument, He fills you with His Holy Spirit and you become productive in God's eyes. And it's this incredible feeling. And you begin to actually want what God wants. It's awesome. And it feels good when God begins to do this. But see, some of you, you're just on the prowl for a stupid bowl of stew. Really, if we could boil your life down every day, it's a hunt for another bowl of stew. And it may be three or four times a day you're looking for that bowl of stew and you're trading all that God has for you for right now. And I'm just going to tell you it's not worth it. I've seen people do things God's way and I've seen people do things not God's way and guess which way works? I've quoted this before, and and I'll just say it again. There was a study done back in the 80s about people who last in marriage because usually one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. First marriages end about 50% of the time. Second marriages end 60% of the time. Third marriages end 75% of the time. What that means is what we're doing isn't working. Normal isn't working. They discovered in the the mid-80s, and you didn't hear this on any of the major news networks, but they discovered that if you go to church together regularly which means more than once every six months. You go, you read the Bible daily. You pray together daily with your spouse. Your odds of getting divorced are 1 out of 1,105. Which category do you want to be in? I'm choosing the latter. I don't want a divorce. It's possible to have an affair with my wife. It's possible for you to have a new spouse with the spouse you're currently with. Does that make sense? If we do things God's way. Too many people are chasing that bowl of stew. So what I want to challenge you to do today is delight yourself in the Lord. Seek Him. Begin to get into His Word. Begin to learn how to pray. Small groups. We just started last week. You're welcome to come tonight. We're learning about prayer and how to seek God. God. If you're interested in the Daniel fast, I can give you information about that. It's not too late to start. Do whatever you can on the Daniel fast. The fast, praying and fasting is not at all about getting to God to do for you what, what you want Him to do. Prayer and fasting is all about me changing so that my desires are God's desires. And I can tell you this. Every time, every bit of pain I've brought to my wife in our 21 years of marriage, I've done it when I have sought my desires now. Every bit of joy that I've brought to my wife has happened when I have delighted myself in the Lord and His desires have become my desires. So if you want what God says is possible, you're going to have to do things God's way. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I'm going to pray for us, and then, then I want you just to keep your heads bowed, because I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to be real, real honest with me today. But first, let's pray. I pray, God, that for, for those who may be pursuing the bowl of stew, or could be tempted by the bowl of stew, that your Holy Spirit would just lead them out of that normal temptation and into the power of a godly life. I pray for those who are just running around chasing a bowl of stew. They're even eating the stew right now. I pray that your spirit would set them free. God, it's my prayer that they would confess their sins and they would be released from the desire to do, to chase what what they want right now. I pray for those of us who are vulnerable every day to doing something stupid that could cost us simply to meet an immediate need that would cost us the ultimate down the road. God, I pray your truth that later is often better than now would penetrate our souls. And God, that we would truly seek you so much that you would renew our hearts and our minds and you would wash us with water through your word so that you might present us to you pure and spotless without blemish as a radiant bride. God, I pray that our desires would be your desires and that we would please you in every way. I want you to keep your heads bowed for just a moment. How many of you this last week, you have struggled with what I described, I want what I want, and I want it now? Would you raise your hands? Okay. How many of you in this last week or this last month, you've traded the ultimate in order to meet an immediate need. Would you raise your hands? A lot of confession going on. How many of you know that delayed gratification, meaning later is often better than that, you know the concept of delayed gratification? Let me see your hands. All right, put them down. Even though we know the concept, almost everybody raised their hand that they know the concept. We forget because we focus on the bowl of stew. So again, if you want what normal people have, keep doing what you've been doing. But if you want this abundant life that Jesus said is possible, then it's time to do things differently. Father, would you speak to our hearts and would you change us, we pray in your name. Amen.